Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Get the scoop on Tigers today. You're listening to Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Welcome to Tigers SRD here on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Roger Strong, Chris Brown. Tonight we have our special guest coming in at some point from his old friend of the show, and he is currently working right now doing barrel work for, he's a writer and analyst for Evolution Matrix. That's Casey Bogoslaw. We'll be talking White Sox, the Bears, the fight on Illini, by the way, beat Michigan State tonight, so I'm sure he's gloating somewhere. But he'll be joining us here shortly and talking about the White Sox, who seem to have more trade rumors and rumors than actual signings. So we'll talk about that and how the White Sox have fared. And you're listening to us on the Overtime Media Network, and you can find us on TixTown.com, SportsRealDetroit.com, wherever you listen to podcasts. So, so yeah, Chris, There's in terms of baseball activity, we have that lull. Finally, fo- uh, the season's over, football's over, Super Bowl's over. Did you watch any of the Super Bowl at all, Chris? I did not. Okay. I did not to ruin the conversation, although <laughs> that was kind of going to be my inside the numbers. Uh, All right. Sweet. But, but uh, yeah, yeah. Not to, yeah. Like, basically, I, I, well, I'll explain later, but yes. Okay. I did uh, not see the Super Bowl. I read some about it. It's hard to be on Twitter and not see or hear about stuff. Yeah. Looks like it was a very boring game, but I don't know if it was good defense or bad offense, and uh, I don't care. <laughs> well, for, as the person did watch, I had a couple friends over, and we just, some my old high school chums, we just, uh, you know, we talked about the old days, whatever, we watched the game, and I'll tell you, it's, it was a mixture of bad offense and good defense, and it was a very boring game. The, the ads were horrific, except for a few where, in which the, if you're familiar with the Bud Light, Diddy Diddy, you know, the whole that whole story arc was just stupid. Uh, at one point then, the Game of Thrones uh, dragon and a lancer just destroys the whole village of that, and it looks sweet. That was probably my favorite commercial. That Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. It was a good crossover. And Jordan Peele and the Twilight Zone remake that's coming out in April, you can find. I'm, oh, wow. I'm pretty excited about that because uh, I'm a big fan of Twilight Zone. I'm a big fan of Black Mirror. Those are some of my favorite shows, and the fact that that looks 
appealing. Not to you know, no pun intended. Well, pun intended, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but that was the ads. Like you know, everybody's you know, everybody has that one person in their group. Like, what commercials did you see and and all that stuff. So, um, voided that all that. But we 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 the, our halftime show by the way was pretty funny. We were uh, one of our friends didn't know that Dave Osborne passed away. So we watched. Oh yeah. Uh, we watched Super Dave Osborne videos from the '80s, and some of the bits he did were, were they're hilarious. <laughs> he did this one, by the way, business baseball related. He did one where he has a women's softball team. It's the Dave Osborne Super Team, and so he uh, he tells him to load the bus, and he has this uh, girl pitch to him, and he's like, "I'll I'll make you look good. I'll, I can aim the ball right by your shoulder and make you look good and what have you." So 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 go ahead and pitch a few to me, so he gets smoked, and then like. Mm-hmm. As he swings, he hurts his shoulders. Like, oh, it's just you know, injury. It's nothing to do with this softball whatsoever. So he's like, I'll tell you what, because I'm such a magnetic personality, I want you to take this ball and turn on the magnets. And so he, the ball becomes this magnet. It goes right in his little target. And then the second time he goes, well, hey, I'm gonna sit over here, and he's sitting behind this team bus. And he goes, all right, turn the magnet up a little, you know, a little loud or a little stronger, a little stronger. And the bus plows right in, into the complex. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it was so funny. And, he, and like, even now, like, that's, like, 30, 40 years old, and it aged so well. It was just, he was such, he was so great, and um, we are watching that. That was our halftime show, because I, I, I had, I didn't want to have anything to do with Maroon 5. Sorry. Yeah. I, you know, it's weird. There was, in the 80s, there seemed to be just this brand of comedy that was just uh, about people getting hurt. <laughs> it was, um like Super Dave, I always just remember him like plowing into a bridge or whatever. But also Mr. Bill. Do you remember Mr. Bill? Oh yeah, Mr. Oh. Bill. Yeah, Mr. Bill on SNL, yeah. Yeah, the whole thing of him was just getting squished. Yeah. Um, which people apparently thought was hilarious. It seemed funny to me at the time, but I was like five. The, the, so, the, the, the bloopers too, the Dick Clark uh Ed McMahon bloopers. Oh yeah. Yeah, those, those are always good for a good like comedic and fall value. So um Let's get let's get on the baseball a little bit too. We'll talk some MLB news. The the spring training about uh, pitchers and catchers report here. What like ten days, Chris? Uh, yeah, yeah, sounds about right. So I think the thirteenth at the earliest, and maybe the sixteenth at the latest, depending on which, which you know the team schedules. Yeah, I was a little footballed out. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I'm pretty excited about baseball starting here, but uh, there's some rumors going on. The first, the, the Phillies now in on another player, JT Romano, who we thought was going to go to L.A., but uh, I guess the Phillies are checking in, and there's, of course, these, you know, the baseball news essentially right now is we, we're checking in, and, and there's not really anything concrete out there, but uh, there's a lot of teams still with the rumors about uh, Harper and Machado, and there's nothing still out in concrete about that yet. So yeah, it's... It's interesting because, I mean, there's an opinion piece today that came out from the USA Today from Bob Nightingale. And, and, and the thing about that reason why I thought it was interesting, Chris, because he seems like he has been a guy who's been toting the company line for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now it's he, he writes about the frustration of the fan support and everything. And, you know, he, he, had, he had some comments from the director from the Baseball Player Association, Bruce Meyer, and we think it's bad for the players, the fans, and the game. Being this close to the beginning of the season and having so many fan bases not knowing what's going on with their teams. And baseball's argument is that 45% of free agent class was unsigned in this time in 2015-2016 and 62% a year ago. This winter, however, according to the, the statistics, is 52%. But, I, you know, 
they said leaving all but a few minor league signing and contracts are forced into retirement. But I don't know, fifty two percent doesn't seem like is it just me or I don't know. I, I thought that was a I thought it'd be a higher number, but yeah, I think it's it's probably thrown off. It just feels worse because all the like almost all the guys at the top are still available. I guess you know Corbin and it in signed and then Pollock signed recently, but there's still you know the the two big guys and then Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell and these are all sorts of guys who would have been snapped up pretty quickly in the past, and so it just feels like it's a really uh, slow off season. And and the other thing is a lot of guys are just taking tiny contracts they're just signing so they have an idea of what they're going to be doing next year so i don't know if the 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 raw numbers tell the actual story here i'd be interested to see i think we saw what the salaries went down last year for the first time ever that's correct yeah interesting to see the the average annual value of uh, the contract signed this offseason compared to last season so far yeah, I mean, and even the, about that too, Chris. You, you talk about like guys like, for example, I think Curtis Granderson. Let's talk today. Curtis Granderson had a minor league deal with the Marlins, so no one wanted Chris Curtis Granderson. Yeah, I mean that was a tough one. I, I you look at his numbers, and he's basically Justin Bohr. <laughs> it's kind of like a, you know, a left-handed platoon guy who can't really play in the field, but he's like you know eight nine years older than Justin Bohr. So and Bohr got I think one year and one and a half million. So it's, it's it feels like a bummer because it seems like Granderson still offers something interesting, right? But with the way you know he, he's we remember his struggles against left-handers uh, in Detroit, and the way teams are using AL teams are using the DH now, they don't really just want a guy who can go out there and swing for fences anymore. So it's it's just it's a little bit uh, getting pushed out, and uh, it's a shame. But you know if he wants to keep playing, I'm happy for him. I think he's probably going to have a really good career as an analyst uh, if he wants it. I mean, I'm, I've always enjoyed it when they have him in the studio at MLB Network and things like that. So, uh, you know, I guess uh, for anybody, it's tough to tough to hang him up, especially when you feel like you've got something to contribute, but nobody else seems to want to sign you. But I, I, it's hard for me to imagine him not making the Marlins. I mean, with the, who else are they going to play? Yeah, yeah. They just, their minor league depth right now is still. We talk about the Tigers' minor league depth, but the the Marlins are in a different kind of stratosphere altogether with that. So, but nothing really to report on the Tiger wise. Just outside of the Tigers doing the, the caravan stuff and and all that. So it, it's really a right now kind of looking around the league at this point. And we'll, our insider numbers are my insider numbers are actually football related, and the good, bad, and ugly is kind of all sport related. But. Uh, but in terms of – there's a couple things I really want to mention before we go into inside numbers. And I thought the MLB had a really cool um, – in terms of players – you know, we look at the Orioles right now. The Orioles are a team that is in a very weird state of flux right now with well, – the, the Tigers' position players right now at this point look kind of concrete a little bit. And we'll probably I'm, – I'm, I want to get somebody on from the Baltimore side of things to talk about this Orioles team because – the Yankees, Red Sox, Rays, and I mean, in the Toronto, there's gonna be some position battles. But those three teams I just mentioned outside of Toronto have an idea what the rosters look like. The Orioles right now are in this giant cluster bleep, essentially, because it's you know they are really you know who they're gonna put at third base and all that. And then they had a really good article 
posted on some of the position players with like Ronaldo Nuez at third base. Who who you know this Orioles team is such an a it's it's a fascinating watch because we've we've ripped on them constantly all the last couple of years and kind of rightfully so at this point. But you know they have they have a prospect in Ryan Mountcastle who Chris I mean. This is a guy who he hit in double A or double A Bowie, and there's a chance he might make or come in the team for summer. But is is he is he a legit prospect? I mean, is this a guy you're going to put in the Orioles lineup at some point? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you kind of have to. He, he looks like he's going to hit. I've seen him compared to Nick Castellanos in terms of both his hitting ability and his fielding ability. Um, he has probably less of an arm than Castellanos. Like, which makes it really like it's a 30 great arm. So he, he might be more of like a Kristen Stewart uh, where he has to just play DH. But w- with the stage that the Orioles are right now and for the next few years, that's the sort of guy you play for two, three, four years, hope he gets better. But really you're just kind of playing out the string with him, using him because he, he is a body and will probably produce a little bit. But, you know, I don't think he's a cornerstone of the franchise or anything like that. Yeah, and here and you know what though. Speaking of the Orioles, by the way, I did see this is kind of Tiger related, and I want to yeah, I wanted to bring this up because I I did post about this. So the the Orioles have been looking at a Cuban shortstop who um, because they're they're starting to kind of change their ways with their the they've been notoriously cheap or not spending any money on the international market, but Yobert Sanchez. Who became eligible to sign today? Actually, um, and the Orioles are in the Dominican Republic to look at him. The Tigers are also supposedly in the mix. With I mean, the Orioles have six million dollars in bonus pool money to play with. Tigers could give him at least three point five million. Um, so it's a possible way of, or possible uh, way to sign this uh, gentleman. But uh, Either way, it's it's good to see the Orioles in that regard because they have not done anything with that money. But the question is, Chris, it just seems like they their biggest problem right now is their their pitching depth is horrendous. Yeah, they, they you know they they haven't uh, drafted pitching terribly well or developed it. They had Kevin Gossman and traded him away. Their top prospect, I, well, it, I guess Eugenio Diaz is probably their their top prospect, but DL Hall, a pitcher. It's probably their number two prospect uh, or number one, depending on who you believe. But yeah, beyond that, I mean, they got some interesting arms. But it's, I don't know, it's it's a bad farm system that they're trying to get better. They're kind of in the same boat as the Tigers in that they they've kind of emptied all their major league talent in trades already. And uh, you know, it's one of those things where I think we talked about it before. They should have traded Machado before they did and gotten more for them. But, you know, when you, you're trying to go for it, you don't get rid of a guy like that. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a fairly long rebuild. Now, they've, they've hired a bunch of interesting front office people, a lot of people from, like, the Astros. So um, they might be able to find some other interesting ways to turn it around. But, yeah, I think it's going to be a, little, a bit of a long haul for them. And I, I love for the Tigers to be in the mix for this guy, but it was a it was a joke I was making with somebody on Twitter about whether he's because of he's more of a glove, a light hitting shortstop type. But uh, do the Tigers? It was funny because his joke was I made a Rodney Rosny Castillo, who's still in who was still in Nantucket or Pawtucket, by the way, 
uh, $72 million wasted. And the Tigers have not – this is kind of nice that the Tigers are actually in a mix for somebody that's been mentioned. So, so where did I not not to where did you hear that? Because I didn't think the Tigers had any money to put toward this bonus so, pool left. So I let me see. I go to my Twitter timeline here, and there, it was uh, Jesse Sanchez reported it. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I thought that they, you know, they spent like close to four million on uh, Denzel Reyes and Jose De La Cruz, and then they signed a couple more guys. So yeah, so I thought she, they were about tapped out, but that's interesting. Yeah, I, so, I still would. I would expect him to go to the Orioles because the Orioles built up all that money to try to go after the Mesas. Yeah, or Victor Victor Mesa and Victor Mesa Jr. And then you know the Marlins weaseled their way in there and got a little bit more money and signed them. So they've got this giant like six million dollars, like you said, or whatever, and and they haven't spent it on anybody. So I would think they they could offer the most money, but. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, um, they also who by the way, who's Sadie uh Gaston signed with? The was the Cuban pitcher who He signed with the Marlins, I think. Was that was that the Marlins? Okay. I couldn't remember who and, signed either with. the Marlins or the Rays. Okay. Um but yeah, the teams that Jesse mentioned was the Twins, Brewers, Pirates, D Backs, Rockies, Indians, Royals, and Tigers. Mariner uh, sorry, hmm. Mariners, Jays and Giants could be possible partners and thus be positioned to offer the Cuban infielder at least Three point five million. So wow. yeah. Yeah, um yeah, the uh Gaston signed with the Rays. Okay. I get my Florida teams mixed up. God, how them Dan Rays are signing everybody. Jeez, man. What's that? This has been with the Rays podcast this is the last couple weeks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so but uh no, it's it, it is interesting because the Tigers haven't really been mentioned in, in a lot of different I mean, outside of getting on the horse really with Mike Moore or excuse me, Matt Moore and everything, so uh, either way, the it, 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 to to me it's just it would be nice for the Tigers to do something a little creative like this if they could get in the mix. But with that kind of pool money they have left over, I'm sure he can even possibly start not not necessarily start, but he can make the team relatively quickly. Okay, so yeah, I see what. So he, I guess the article is saying if the Orioles don't want to sign him, they can trade their bonus pool money away. For presumably other prospects, and then the Tigers could be a partner there and sign them for up to three and a half million. Yeah. So that would be that would that would be downright innovative of the Tigers, and so it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, yeah, it's something that the of which we'll, we'll talk a little more with uh, uh, Casey about this too. With the White Sox, the White Sox have been. You know, rumor about everything. You know what's funny, too, is, like, I was looking over the teams. I was looking at uh, the offseason activity in the AL Central, and the Royals have signed Billy Hamilton, and that is, I mean, in terms of, like, they, it was, like, in terms of names, it's his other players, Terrence Gore, Connor Green, Chris Owens, and that is it for the Royals mm-hmm. side of things. So, uh, but uh, either way, I, yeah, if the, if the Tigers do something innovative like that, I would, you know, I, I would – be the tip of the cap to that so um but yeah so right now it looks like it's gonna be we're gonna have casey join us here in just a second uh as i get this all set up chris um we'll start with your inside the numbers when he joins us here uh right after we talk we catch up with casey a little bit all right um yeah so let's see here um yeah casey's about to join us here in just a second All right, we're back. 
on Tigers SRD, joined now by Casey Bogoslaw, friend of the show. Uh, he has now, we're going to submit the, Chris and I were joking around with this earlier, if you're familiar with SNL and the Tom Hanks, the five-time club, uh, Casey's going to get a golden jacket. Uh, it says the number five and Tigers on the bottom. Uh, they'll be delivered to you in the mail. And uh, <laughs> All right, that was a bad joke. But anyways, so my data reference to introduce Casey, he's a writer and analyst at Evolution Matrix, and you can find him um, on Twitter at uh, Casey. I'm totally blanking on your Twitter, all of a sudden. Yeah, it's just Casey Bogoslaw. Oh, there, there we go. So uh, first and foremost, I'm sorry about the Bears. I, at the same time, I, I'm not because – then the next day when everybody went out and tried to do the field goal and feel miserably, they understood the pain of the tip pass. But uh, nevertheless, I'm sure watching what was probably a boring Super Bowl just kind of made the pain a little easier, right? Well, no, because I, I feel like the Bears should have been there. I really do. I feel like that that Rams team, I think the Bears actually broke that Rams team, and I, I would have been very confident going to L.A. against the Rams. And then they would have had to go to New Orleans, which, of course, would have been a tall task, but New Orleans didn't look too great in the NFC Championship. Yes, of course, they should have won, but um, they certainly were not firing on all cylinders. So I do think the Bears would have been able to beat them. And then, yeah, Brady looked very beatable for the majority of that game, and I think the Bears could have certainly done – if not a similar job that the Rams did in the in the Super Bowl, so uh, no, I'm a little bitter. I I went into the playoffs. I it really I went into the the end of that regular season, and I said, if the Bears make the playoffs, I will be happy. I don't care what happens in the playoffs, and that still is true because I think that was the stepping stone that they needed to take uh, heading into the 2020 season, which. You know, they don't even have too many pieces to replace or get better. And I think the Bears are are going to be very good. Yes, they'll have a first-place schedule. Um, but I think they'll be ready and uh, as much of a contender as anyone. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little bit better that the Parkey field goal mishap was the reason that I, I think could have cost them a Super Bowl victory. But I'm happy for things to come down the road. Yeah, there you go. And, and and for I don't know, I, I, we're I'm glad that football's over in a way because then of course leads to baseball, of course. And there's been a uh, growing consentment for or resentment on my part, talking to my wife about like just she wants football, she wants to continue to have football, and you know bring on baseball. So I, I think Chris feels the same way. So uh, uh, before we get to talk some White Sox, what have you, um, we're gonna do our inside the numbers segment real quick, and Chris. Take it away with yours, because you said it wasn't. Yours sounded interesting, so I'm intrigued to hear yours. Well, uh, not to make light of the very uh, interesting conversation you guys just had, but my number this uh, this week is zero, which is the precise amount of fucks I give about the Super Bowl in the NFL. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I try, you know, I, I, I've had this growing distaste for the NFL for the last few years, but I kept consuming it. I was a fantasy player. I would watch things, watch the draft, watch the combine. And this year I told myself that I was done. Quit fantasy. Stop watching. I, I saw a portion of the Lions Thanksgiving game because it was on TV at uh, the house where we were. But that's all the football I saw this, this year. I didn't see the Super Bowl. I didn't see any of the playoffs. Uh, and... Now I feel like I can adequately complain about the NFL because I'm not a hypocrite. Um, but mostly, this is the only time I'm ever going to do it. Now I can, I try to just be quiet since I don't have anything good to say. 
but I just want to gloat that I made it the whole season without watching the NFL. <laughs> so there you go. Well, I, apl- I applaud the effort there, Chris. I mean, I think I- I've certainly dabbled with the idea as well. I, I guess I'm not trying to say that uh, I would ever think that you would be a hypocrite, but I'm I'm just curious because I'm, I'm basically going upon my experience is that I wanted to give up the NFL. I was against the NFL. I was very negative on the NFL probably the last two years, and then the Bears got really good this year, and it sucked me back in because I <laughs> – needed to be on my couch every Sunday at noon because I was excited to watch the Bears again. So the question I was going to ask you is if your Lions were exciting in next year or two years, three years down the road, do you think you would be sucked back in as well? I don't think so. I've been abused when I cared. I, I, I never really cared that much. You know, I always followed the Lions. It was cool watching Barry Sanders when I was growing up. It was cool watching Calvin Johnson. I watched the games, but like a couple years ago, my son, he actually just turned five. He was born uh, the day of the Super Bowl, which was the Broncos Seahawks Super Bowl, I think. Okay. It was a blowout, I believe. But I didn't yeah. I didn't watch a second of it. It was like the first Super Bowl I didn't watch since I was like 10. And I didn't miss it because my son was born. And then I've missed a couple after that just through circumstance. My son was really sick for the um, – the New England, like the greatest comeback ever, Super Bowl. The Atlanta, yeah. Yeah, so I missed that too. And, and I don't know, I just, something about it was like, you know, I'd rather spend Sundays with my kid, um, which it makes you sound like an asshole. Like, I'm not like, hey, I'm a better parent. Like, other, yeah, and a lot of people yeah. spend their days with their kids watching football. It's a bonding experience for them. It was just, uh, I don't know. It just, it was, it was weird. It felt like this vestigial part of my sports fandom that I was able to get rid of and, and I don't really miss it. I, you know, I guess the proof will be in the pudding if the lions ever get good, but <laughs> that's never going to happen. So it doesn't matter. And I think I told you this guys before that I'm a bear season ticket holder, which is part of the reason why I think I will always remain attached. I actually did get close to getting rid of the tickets. This was probably three years ago. Um, my mom just really couldn't afford it all by herself, and she was paying for all four by herself. And she asked me if I could help, and I wasn't necessarily in the best financial position to start helping her. And I talked to my wife a little bit about it, and she said, "No, you need to keep them. They mean so much to you. You know, they. I, I've had them now for uh, eighteen years, um, and." I ended up keeping them, and I do pay a good portion of it now, and I'm just hoping that, yeah, my kids can use them someday, and that's part of it, why I just kind of want to stay attached to the sport, but I totally get where you're coming from. There's a whole lot not to like, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I don't, you know, it's impossible to not sound like a dick, but I don't want to begrudge anybody else their fandom or what they're into. I know, you know, sports are all just kind of for entertainment and silliness. Uh, it's just something that I grew out of. I don't know, I... 15 years ago, I was a huge NBA fan, and I kind of fell out of that, too. So, I don't know. Maybe five years from now, I won't care about baseball at all. It seems unlikely, but who knows? <laughs> and, and from my end, for the Lions, it's just it's the, the fandom part of it because when they went 0-16, this, the, the tenants went down for a year, and then it went back up. Meanwhile, the Tigers go and have one of the best 10-year runs they've ever had in franchise history, and the fans just... As soon as they announce the rebuild, they just bitch and bitch and complain. And it just 
Not to mention, I got so sick and tired of it. Just, it's predictable with the, the, the calls and everything. It, it drains on you, but it's also at the same time, it's you, oh, this new regime and new everything, and it's the same old thing. And then meanwhile, you know, you can say what you will about the Tigers right now going through this, the Al Avila era where he is going, he's getting broisted out there on the, and out there by people in the media. But it's just for me, honestly, I'm a I'm a, been a Ravens fan since the late like when they became the Ravens. I was a big fan of like that whole Super Bowl team, and they become like a team that I actually like. I'm a Flack, Joe Flacco fan. I get a lot of crap for, for my <laughs> friends, and that's fine. I don't I don't really care, and I'll I'll be a big fan of Lamar Jackson too. I just it, the Lions have disappointed me so much to the point where. Yeah, have the Tigers frustrated me? No doubt. Have I may or may not thrown things at TVs and may have broken them by the Tigers? Absolutely. It's part of the being a fan. But for the Lions, you know, the the Bears, the Bears, I will say this about Chicago. Chicago is a very great sports town because look at the Bulls. The Bulls have been horrendous the last five years, yet they're top five in attendance. Why? Because people love the Bulls. People will – Chicago, you can say what you want about Chicago Blackhawk fans. Blackhawk fans are a different type of breed altogether coming up here and, and all that. But it's – and White Sox fans scare me. I mean, literally, I've gotten like just – I'm not really going to wear a Tigers jersey at, when I go down a guaranteed rate field ever again. Like I said, I got yelled at, told some guy – Bye, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> some guy at the fence in the parking lot told me – Get the you know get the f out of here, man! I'm gonna kill you, kind of stuff. And I'm like, ha ha ha! And he wasn't joking. But regardless, my my point, my my, I digress. The point is, I will give Chicago props when it comes to the Bears. They, I've seen so many little like, stories of Bears fans who have the tradition. Saying Lions probably do have the tradition too. I'm not saying that, but it just, I don't know. Chicago is very special when it comes to sports, and and they, they really get into it. I mean, outside of those bandwagon club fans, I can't stand. Uh, Lions fans are, when it comes to that, that's why it annoys me because they get so. Like, we need to do this. We need to do that. And every, I'm sure every fan base has those kind of fans, but uh, that's why I don't root for the Lions. And my insider numbers, by the way, is football. It's actually goes across three different sports, and that is the num. The significance behind this number is simply this, and it's a really good one. Ten, and that is how many times Boston has beaten L.A in a championship game. So the years go from 1962, 1963, 65, 66, 68, 69, 84, 2008, that's the Celtics beating the Lakers, 2018, of course, the Red Sox beating the Dodgers, and then the Patriots beating the Rams. So that's my inside number for this week. Hmm. Poor L.A. Poor L.A. <laughs> yeah, 10. So that's, a, that's pretty amazing. But uh, at any rate, so... Uh, let's go into talking about the White Sox offseason a little bit, Casey. And right now, the AL Central is a division right now, kind of a state of flux. You look at across the board, what teams have been doing in the offseason, and, and even like just prospect-wise, you see the White Sox having a glutton of prospects, building them up. But uh, the offseason seems to be a little quiet in Chicago. And does that is that before we get to the, the prospects and kind of overall, does that kind of scare you? Because it seems like you know all his rumors, but Machado rumors all season, all off season, but uh, not much else. And is there anything that they have a, they haven't addressed yet? Through, I mean, they've been the most one of the most active teams among the AL Central. But is there any moves or anything that you would like to see him make next couple of weeks here? 
Um, I look at someone like a Gio Gonzalez or something like that that I would like to see them maybe take a, a chance on just because the rotation's still pretty much in flux, especially that number five spot. They they really don't know who their number five is going to be uh, just yet. Um, last year they they took a risk on a Hector Santiago, gave him a minor league invite, and he be, kind of became the number five all season. He did okay. He did probably a little bit better than you would have expected out of Hector Santiago, but that's still not saying much. So, you know, Gio Gonzalez would be a funny story, too, because um, I don't know if you guys remember, but the White Sox have actually traded Gio Gonzalez twice. Um, they traded him twice as a prospect. Um, I know one was the Nick Swisher trade. I can't remember what the other one was. They but, traded him to um, Philly and to the Oakland, right? Yeah, they traded Philly, got got him back, and then traded him for Nick Swisher when he was like a pretty high prospect. Yeah. And, you know, of course he's had a nice career. It'd be kind of cool to see him come back here. Uh, and it would make a whole lot of sense um, and just kind of be that veteran leader in the rotation since they don't really have one right now with uh, Shields not in town anymore. So that's something. Um, but, uh, yeah, heading into this offseason, I did not really think they would be active at all. Um, and it kind of bummed me out a little bit, but I just thought they would kind of be pushing their chips into 2020. Um, even with the Harper Machado possibilities, I just didn't think that the White Sox would get into it because they're just never really into the big free agent guys. And I just thought it was almost kind of a too good to be true situation that I wouldn't let myself get into, get my hopes up. But then they came out firing so quickly in the offseason that it certainly has been uh, on the tip of everybody's minds with in the White Sox fan base. And I think the Machado breadcrumbs have just been so strong all offseason with signing his brother-in-law, Yonder Alonso, signing his best friend, John Jay, uh, that everything that they've done all offseason has seemed like they were, are setting up for Manny Machado. And I'm still pretty confident that Machado will end up in a White Sox uniform, and I will be disappointed if he's not. I think maybe the holdup right now is just maybe kind of an agency fight between the two, you know, Harper and, and, and uh, Machado's you know, groups trying to see who could get more money or maybe trying one trying to build up the other. And I think maybe that there's one thing that that Machado's group is is holding out that the White Sox aren't giving in on, whether that's an opt out or, you know, a couple more million dollars or, or just something else. And that, and I think the White Sox are in the lead and they're they're kind of probably hopefully in the situation where, you know, they're even telling Machado's group. If you go out and find it somewhere else, yeah, we'll match it. But we're not gonna, we're not gonna fight it. You know, we're not gonna outbid ourselves. Essentially, mm-hmm. we've given you, we've given you our offer, and we're gonna stick by that unless you find something better. And maybe there is an agreement because I think that the, the player, the player wants to come to Chicago. I, I, I every sign has shown it. Um, I don't know if you guys heard the story, but at Sox Fest, uh, he was he FaceTimed with Alonzo and the group. Uh, during the the players' intros, he was actually like watching it through FaceTime, and, and there were a, a bunch of the guys, Mankata and Tim Anderson, were basically like, "We need you here. You need to be here with us." Um, that story was sent out a couple of times in interviews during SoxFest, so it just seems like it's gonna happen at some point. Uh, you would think that it would happen before they report to Arizona, but um, I just I'd be really disappointed if it's not and i think that would that really ups everything and then yeah if the machado thing does happen um 
I think they do need to make some fixes because I do think the playoff possibilities for 2019 are much higher once you have a Machado in the mix. And I think you do have to make that rotation a little bit stronger. Um, and, and they got to go out there and get another one. There's so many free agents still left out there. I don't know if it would be a Dallas Keuchel, but like I mentioned, someone on the Gio Gonzalez level, there's not a whole lot of guys. Uh, after Keuchel, it really drops off a bit in, in my eyes, the, the free agency market. But I still think anyone would really be an improvement over what they got at number five right now. Um, the rest of the team still makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, you know, I don't think there's too many holes, and especially with the prospects that I know we're going to get into here a little bit. Uh, I think that uh, we'll see a couple of those guys start to come up here pretty soon. And if they are in the mix, you know, around the trade deadline, they'll make some more moves if they if they see a hole that they have to fill. Hey, Casey, I got a couple of questions for you. Um, if and when Machado signs, how's that gonna the infield going to shake out? Is, is Are they going <laughs> to sign him as a shortstop and have – Anderson moved to center field, or again, uh, move Anderson to second, move Moncada to third, or something like that, or what do you think would happen? <clears throat> That's certainly been a question in my mind the whole time because Machado was so adamant about playing shortstop last year during his walk year um, that he, uh, you know, of course, he forced his way into shortstop in Baltimore, and then, you know, it made sense when he went to L.A., but... I thought he would do the same thing. I thought with even what we saw with uh, the Yankees and the fact that he dropped out of uh, his talks with them, I thought it was because he was being adamant that he wanted to be shortstop. But Rick Hahn did say another thing during SoxFest that was probably the other really interesting Machado-related news bite that came out of SoxFest was Rick Hahn said that Machado has told them he will play wherever they want. Um <laughs> which is, yeah, very surprising. And the the very, very big hole I'm talking about all through the system for the Chicago White Sox is third base. There is nobody there. So, um, and plus, you know, uh, watching Machado play third base for Baltimore so and make so many great plays, you know, uh, throughout the years, Brooks Robinson style, uh, I have always dreamed how great he would fit in at the hot corner. That's been, uh, you know, just uh, <laughs> a black hole in White Sox history. Really, it's it's Joe, it's Robin Ventura, then Joe Creedy, and then nothing for for uh, 15 years now. Um, I think that would be so great if he was able to fit in the in the mix in third base, and if he's willing to play there, that's such great news. That Anderson makes, you know, he made a, a a lot of leaps offensively and defensively last year. That I think he he, he I I want him to play shortstop. Makata stays in second, and everything makes a whole lot more sense. So that was a, some great news when uh, Han dropped that at Soxos. And the other thing I wanted to ask, and this this might just be kind of silly, but I I wonder if if Kopech had stayed healthy and he was heading into this season as, you know, one of their top three pitchers or whatever, do you think they might have been a little bit more aggressive going after other pitchers? Because once you have, you know, you got – it takes some takes some good luck. Kopech taking a step forward, Lopez taking a step forward, Rodon being healthy. But if that all happened, you'd have a fairly formidable front of the rotation. So, so I'm curious if you think that one injury may have set their timetable back a year or so. I really do think so. Um, and even that's kind of why I went in the offseason not thinking that they would do much because, and I got so excited when he got called up, especially with how good he looked in his uh, little bit of time. Um, I was 
so I was starting to get so excited for the 2019 season and just thinking like, you know what, 2019 might actually be a year that at least I'm going to start watching every single game again. I haven't done that for a couple of years just because I, you know, obviously I dabble a ton around the entire league and that's really kind of kept my baseball love afloat while the White Sox are in this rebuilding stage. But I was thinking I'm ready opening day in 2019. But then of course the injury, uh, even, yeah, my personal thoughts were, oh man, now 2019 is going to be another lost year, but you know, it's going to push into 2020. Of course, Tommy John surgery, we never know if the recovery is 100%. Um, it was just such a, a kick in the stomach, you know, a punch in the stomach that, that when he went down, I just thought, oh man, what does this mean for the whole, the whole organization now? Um, I, I think it really did set back their plans because, yeah, he was going to be their number one guy. And even if you put Rodon number two, yeah, like you just said, that's an amazing uh, one-two punch, um, and, and certainly probably the you know uh, one of the best in the division, and then you know one of the best in the American League as well. Um, I think that that did change things. But then they got into the Machado, and really they got the Harper talk so early that I thought maybe. They were just going to be like, you know what? These guys are there now, and uh, if we get them, at least we have them in the system, and then we'll be really ready to go in 2020. Uh, even you know, if they got Harper or Machado early, and, and still if they do, I'm not sure if they go out and get uh, a Keuchel or anyone that caliber because I still think 2020 is the, the start of the window, regardless of who they end up with this this uh, offseason. Go, go ahead, Roger. Uh, I was just, uh, the only thing I was going to ask was, and in, in, in with that window being in mind, is somebody like Dylan says, and even to the like, uh, sorry, sorry if I said his name incorrectly, but just someone like Dylan or even Dane Dunning, who are, you know, they're, they're going to be in AAA next year, and, and Dylan has, I think, a good chance to make the ball club as a fifth starter, but are the White Sox similar in the Tigers, and, I, and Chris, I, I think you could chime in on this a little bit with this, are they going to be conser- just as conservative with these two arms because they don't want to have something happen like they did with Kovacic. Um, yeah, I think they're going to, they're going to take it easy with C. C still needs uh, a third pitch really to, to master a third pitch before I think he's MLB ready. Um, there's been a lot of whispers that he would be up, you know, uh, after the trend deadline, after the all-star break, you know, maybe even a September call up. I think he'll make it a, his cup of coffee just like Kopech did last year, but I think they'll be careful with him again, just because I don't think the window really opens till 2020. Uh, Dunning is going to start in double a, he had an injury at the end of the season last year. So I think they're, they're working him back. He's not even going to be at spring training. He he's, uh, he's going to start the season in double A. Um, so yeah, even these guys that they do have a lot of hopes for these arms, uh, that's kind of why there's such a, a wide open hole in the number five spot, because they, there's no one in the system that's ready to take that number five spot on opening day. Chris, I'm sorry. You want to go ahead and follow up with them? Sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. So I, yeah, Dylan Cease, uh, I think is, is fairly similar to Matt Manning in the tiger system. Um, I think they both took had, had big steps forward last year. I think C saw more time in Double A than Manning did. Manning only had a couple starts there, but uh, yeah, they're both working on that third pitch. But they, it, it, we've talked about it before, and especially if if they go out and sign Machado, sometimes these teams with strong farm systems pop up a year earlier than you expect. Oh yeah, and if the White Sox were still you know in contention in June, July. Uh, I could definitely see them going, you know what, let's bring Cease up and see what he can do. Let's uh, you know, see if Dunning can eat some innings for us. I, I think with Cease, though, you have to worry. He, did, did he have Tommy John surgery? Did, Cease did, back? Yeah. 
Yes, he did. Yeah, so I think they're still working on building up his innings, but I, I'm not entirely sure about that. I haven't paid a ton of attention. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. It, the, the White Sox are kind of in an enviable position right here. And, and what we've talked about – and I even said this with the Tigers, like until Al Avila came out and said that like they might be ready to compete and spend in 2022. Um, it was like – you know, guys like Machado and Harper are just almost never come on the market. So even if you're not going to compete this year or even next year, get them while you can, and and they'll still be good in three years, probably. I mean, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but uh, that it makes a ton of sense for me to to me for the White Sox to get in, uh, involved right now because, yeah, like you, you said, that the, the, you know Eloy's about ready, uh, but everybody else is kind of a year or two away still. So it, it makes perfect sense to me. Right, and you got to convince the player. Obviously, I mean, I, you know, yeah. uh, I'm not, you know, not to insult the Tigers, but you know, it'd be, I, I don't no, know, Machado or Harper would agree to that. Type you know, so, what I think, what is what's interesting about the what the White Sox have done with Machado is Yonder Alonso and John Jay only have one year left on their contract. They're only under contract with the White Sox for 2019, which is, you know, so some some doubters would say like, why would Machado come to the White Sox if? He's only guaranteed his buddies one year, but I think that's kind of the point. He's going to have his buddies, and he's going to have fun and play for one year, maybe be in the playoff mix a little bit, maybe a wild card. And then 2020 is when the team will be at full capacity. All these prospects will be ready to go, and they're going to be a serious contender. Maybe he won't have his best friends still on the team, but he'll have, uh, hopefully, you know, a, a, a team that's being talked about to go to the World Series. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and, and and the thing is too with the, that, I guess for, I, I think for Tiger fans, I think that I'm a little envious with the White Sox having kind of that closer window where their prospects are are coming through, and and the Tigers can't exactly offer that even like the the bigger market thing where Chicago has a great media market, has a great fan base too. But the, it, I don't know, it it. it it, what is frustrating is that we're heading into February and neither one of them are signed, and I'm sure that's kind of what's making this offseason a little little batty for White Sox fans. Is that every there's a story that comes out, and here we are ten days out from pitchers and catchers reporting, and there's nothing, not you know a signing at all with it. And I'm sure that even now here's the list is still available. Mike Mike Musakis is still out there. Marvin Gonzalez, who could be a some like a. Uh, some really kind of like a, a versatile piece for either the Tigers and White Sox. I mean, I think the White he, he'd be a kind of guy who could fit in anywhere. Adam Jones is a good backup out there. We're we'll talk about Keiko and Gonzalez, but uh, honestly, Casey, what about a guy like uh, Clay Bolt, uh, Buckschultz? Who I mean, could they take a flyer on him and, and see what they could do? I mean, I know that the DL would the DL stints were concerned some people, but honestly, that guy he you could fit him in the fifth rotation and see what happens there. Yeah. He was great last year with Arizona, too. Like, surprisingly, kind of out of nowhere. He kept stringing together a lot of solid starts, and he did get hurt at the end of the year, which that's what Clay Buckles does. But, um, no, absolutely. I'd love to see what Don Cooper could do with his hands on Clay Buckles. Um, I don't know what, if he's expecting to kind of, uh, put, you know, get a multi-year contract off of what he did with Arizona. You know, maybe he has a case, but I don't really think so i think he should try to take a one-year contract and just do it again and then maybe he can go back to free agency and, and do it again next offseason but no i think that would make a whole lot of sense uh, there's a lot of guys out there like that and that's why you know i'm surprised maybe they're just kind of all 
running into the same issue of because there's so many, it's hard to uh, for them to get what they want. Um, and that's why they're all kind of holding out, waiting until teams get desperate. Or And the teams are probably doing the exact same thing, waiting for these guys to get desperate. Obviously, it takes a lot longer for a pitcher to get ready for the season. So these guys got to be in camps next week when, when pitchers and catchers report. So I think the players are going to get desperate before the uh, – the, before the teams are, you know, we saw Francisco Liriano sign yesterday, but he signed a minor league deal just to, to get in a camp. I think that we're going to start going to see a few more of those with the Buckholzes of the world. Um, I don't have the list in front of me, but I know there's a bunch of other guys that I think might take a, a minor league deal here just to get in a camp. I can see somebody like perhaps like Brett Anderson or something like that, or Brett oh, yeah. Anderson, or even Erwin Ir- Santana, although his numbers have been atrocious, but same thing, like uh, Jeremy Hellickson also comes to mind, too. I think that's a guy who I wouldn't mind the Tigers to actually taking a flyer on over Matt Moore, but I digress. But, uh, Chris, you want to start? Let's uh, talk about some White Sox minor league prospects and what the future holds. And uh, is there any prospects, Chris, that come to mind that we should bring up here? I, I was I was going to ask him, I was going to ask you, Casey, a little bit about, uh, of course, the, the chosen one that is uh, uh, Elroy Jimenez, who's going to be for all accounts a stud but uh chris do you have anybody you want to kick it off with well i mean we touched on cease we touched on dunning and Kopak too he's still technically a prospect i believe um so that's a pretty nice pitching but yeah we, we might as well talk about eloy he kind of gets lost in the shuffle uh at least uh, the national perspective uh behind you know vlad guerrero jr as this you know uh generational talent but eloy had a monster season too and then madrigal uh, of course, I, I mean, his pro debut was a, a little uneven, I guess. But that's a pretty nasty one-two punch in, in terms of hitters, too. So, Yeah, Madrigal got hurt, I think, towards the end of his college career. And he was still kind of working his way back from that. And uh, there was some people that were kind of arguing that, you know, he doesn't really have opposite field power and uh, all that. But Madrigal said that, you know, there's nothing to be worried about. He was still working his way back from injury last year. I think he has a, a, a great place, uh, you know, for the future of the White Sox. You know, it's kind of interesting, you know, if the Machado thing happens, yeah, then it's kind of there might be some questions of where would Madrigal fit because, uh, you know, the entire infield would really be set. Um you know, it's possible at some point the White Sox, because their farm system, you know, knock on wood, is so strong and so deep, they're going to have to trade one of these guys or two of these guys at some point um, to find, you know, a, a, a bigger piece that they're not, you know, that they're not reaching their potential at. That's going to happen at some point. Maybe Madrigal is a guy there. You know, the White Sox, I believe, had the fourth pick in this upcoming draft, so they're going to get another stud that, you know, will be another uh, trade piece possibly at some point, or at least something that they could dangle. Um, yeah, let's talk about Eli a little bit. You know, uh, I think we're going to run into the issue of, you know, the uh, um, service time that he's going to probably spend some time in the minors at the beginning of the year like next year. I'm not going to really make any strong comments about that on how the system is, but we kind of all know, you know, uh, where all of us stand on that. Um, it's kind of a bummer. He's going to spend two weeks working on his defense. Right. <laughs> it's another thing that kind of plays into, I don't know if 2019 is the year that they have, you know, set in stone for contention. And I think that could be another argument of why they're fine with Eloy starting the, the season in AAA because, yeah, they might lose, you know, a game or two because Eloy's not up, but I don't think it really bothers them in the long run because they'll get that extra year of control. And I think that's kind of the trade off there. Um, 
Yeah, you, you mentioned, you know, the, I think Vlad Guerrero is the talk around, uh, you know, fantasy baseball, real baseball, uh, all of these prospect lists that have come out in the last couple of weeks. Um, Fernando Tatis is the other one. Obviously, there's a little bit of pain that, in the in my voice imagine. when I talk about him. Yeah, it, how yeah, how great would this uh, White Sox org if they still had that guy in there? Um, you know, uh, those two guys have kind of it seems like taken a step above on these prospect lists that have come out. But no, I, everything I've read and, and of course everything I've seen is that he is as can't miss of a hitter as as there could be, and he's going to have real raw power immediately. Um, has great plate discipline. Um, I think will be the, I, I guess, depending on, we'll see what the Machado thing happens, but he'll be three, four, or five, I think, for the moment that he is um, brought up on the team. I think he's just going to be ready to go and be ready to take on Major League Hitting immediately, and I think that everything has shown that he won't have too many growing pains. Uh, you know, I think some people probably said that about Makata as well, and we've seen some struggles, but I think uh, the bat is just... Uh, at least the power, I think, is going to play immediately, and that's why I think he could be in the heart of the order right away. Uh, the defense, yeah, there's been some some questions about it, but I think they'll put him in a corner. Um, he'll probably play a lot of DH as well, um, but I, I think he'll be ready to go. And he is, yeah, I, I, I'll go back to what I said about being so excited about 2019. It was the fact that I was going to have Kopech and Eloy to watch in 2019. It sucks that I'm only going to have one of them, but um, I'm still very excited to see him. And I think even like his presence will make uh, Mankata just have that much less pressure on him. And I think Mankata can start coming into his own and we can really start seeing the future of this White Sox lineup, um, you know, with or without a big free agent, because I think that, They'll eventually go out and get that guy, even if they did the offseason. Another Rickon-ism that he said at SoxFest, that even if he misses out on these two guys, they're still going to be in the mix for the big free agents down the line. Um, but I, I think if we see an amazing 2019 out of Makata and Jimenez, it's just kind of filling out the gaps after that. Yeah, that's a nice, uh, nice foundation to have. And then, you know, they've got... For a while, I always thought, like, hey, just put Moncada in the outfield. Put him in center field because I didn't see a center fielder in the system. And then they got uh, Rob, Robert, Rob, Robert, I guess is how he pronounces it, Luis Robert. And then Basabe took a step forward, and so did Micker Adolfo. And it's like, all right, well, suddenly they have three potential future center fielders. So, it, all right. It's a, it's a wonderful place to be, absolutely. Uh, Robert's the guy that I, I mean, you guys know me with outfield defense. I think... He has the potential of just being the ultimate five-tool player, and uh, the dreams in my head are just so aspirational that <laughs> I just want him to be—I want him to be, you know, the next coming of Ken Griffey Jr. or something, and just be the White Sox center fielder that I could just drool over his diving catches for the rest of, you know, uh, the next two decades. That—that's my dream. Another uh, nice dream to have. But it, yeah, yeah, because it would be a lot better what the Tigers have currently in the outfield right now. This. Uh, system in terms of outfielders, but right now the White Sox seem to have a couple catching prospects. Talk about Zach Collins a little bit. Left-handed catcher. His numbers in in double A doesn't indicate, I mean, 234 if you look at out a little deeper in terms of kind of, you know, he walks a lot. He's got a lot of raw power, but he strikes out a lot. So, but still, I mean, it's almost like a Jake Rogers situation, but defensively, how does he stack up? Uh, yeah, it's he's going to be an on-base guy. That I think that's what uh, the White Sox have been. We haven't had any uh, on-base guys for a long, long time, and I think just Thank having, yes, yeah, I, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to be too hyperbolic there. But <laughs> um, 
no, I, I think it's great to have those guys in the system because I think that stuff is contagious too. To watch a guy like him take a bunch of walks, I'm fine with it, especially if he's going to bet. You know, when he when he does come up, he's going to be the number eight hitter, and that's fine. A little bit of a power and a guy that can certainly take a lot of pitches and you know hopefully play a good defensive catcher. That's all I want from the you know the catcher spot. Uh, there's another guy too, yeah, Sebi Savala, who I, I think is going to be up even faster than him. Um, just because the tools um, are a little bit more advanced, especially defensively. Um, uh, I know that uh, Eloy was the one who was uh, talking Zavala up a lot, that he's he, he, he was saying that that's the prospect to watch in the White Sox system. Not a lot of people, of course, would have been said him, but um, I, you know, I'm fine I, with the catcher spot being a guy with a little bit of pop, uh, some great plate discipline and great defense, especially with, of course, uh, a young pitching rotation for many, many years that they're going to have. Um, I, I want a guy to be able to grow up with them and to help th- them, uh, you know, to work with with those guys through thick and thin. Um, I'm hoping these guys are that that type, and if they're probably going to be the platoon, and I think that if uh, Zavala is the defensive guy, maybe Collins a little bit more the offensive guy. You got uh, you're you're kind of checking all the boxes and uh i think i I'm, I'm pretty confident about the catcher spot moving forward and uh, apparently so are the white Sox since they uh they traded um oh, what's his name to Navarez to, to seattle i think they're confident with with the guys that are coming up as well so um although they were into the ground now uh signing too so maybe they were they were willing to make an upgrade but i still think they're pretty confident with what they got i think we all know the catcher of the future in chicago is james mccann and uh <laughs> I'll hear no more debate about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I think there's a, there's some debate about Collins being able to play catcher. I think that was with him since he was coming out of college at Miami. But like you said, if there's a stronger defensive half of that platoon and he's going to be a guy who could provide more offense, that'll work. Uh, and who the hell knows? I mean, like you said, they have a top four pick. They might be able to grab. I, mean, I don't think Rutschman's going to fall for, but. They might be able to grab grab Shea Langoliers uh, at the fourth pick, and then suddenly you have a, a high upside defensive catcher to go along with Collins, and yeah, things are rolling along. Yeah, especially because I mean, just right now, even with the Tigers, like catching catching wise, the Tigers are kind of outside of Rogers. It just seems like they're lacking on a little bit. But uh, lastly, last of the prospects too, I wanted to talk about that uh, the one they got in the in the Rule Five uh, draft. Or excuse me, via Rule Faf, uh is Zach Birdie, who I mean, you got some. T- or is it? Not, is it? It's not Zach. This is his brother. I'm sorry, I was thinking of. Yeah, his brother. His yeah, Nick. yeah. That's all the Birdie brothers throw really. Yeah, hard. right. Yeah, yeah. And he's already. It seems like he's um already kind of. Come, he's on a lower end. He hasn't really done much, but uh, some guys like that, or uh, even uh, another guy who I was wondering about in terms of Jake Berger. Is Jake Berger? I mean, he he's had a torn he's had a torn Achilles, and he's just been. Is he gonna ever amount to what the hype is for being eleven pick overall? You think? I don't Did know. He carried he... two Achilles. Yeah, he, he twice. Yeah. yeah, he had a. A, a, a real bad setback uh, when he was when he was healing. He did it again, um, like almost yeah. doing the same exact thing. I think just running to first base. Um, yeah, just a bummer. It feels like he's a little bit snake bitten. Um, yeah, the guy, of course, the name like Burger in Chicago got a whole lot of hype and a lot of buzz around <laughs> here, and everyone was just expecting to be the next uh, great power hitter. It, it it doesn't feel 
I'm not too optimistic on, on Berger just because it's hard to come back from stuff like that, especially yeah when you have it twice. Um, the second round pick uh, that they had in that draft, Gavin Sheets, who was another big power guy, uh, he's kind of uh, I think supplanted. Uh, I guess just on the list of uh, prospects that came out of that draft, and uh, and I think that he's he's a guy that to really keep an eye on. That uh, they're expecting him to take a big leap this year in in the system, um, and, and he did not show a lot of power. Um, so far in his minor league stay, but they're saying that he made the right adjustments, was starting to make some uh, changes to his swing in, in the late late in the season, and has been working on a whole bunch this offseason that a lot of people are saying a lot of good things about Gavin Sheets uh, this season. So that's a guy to look forward to. Yeah, he seems like an ideal sort of launch angle candidate, a guy who doesn't strike out much, walks a bunch, hits hit a bunch of doubles. He seems like a line drive hitter. You get a little more loft in there, and suddenly uh, he got 20-plus home runs, and then you're having some fun. So, Casey, I want to ask you about the the, the Bills project and, and continuing on with that. And what what are you what's your plans for that this year in terms of just in terms of the analytics and any fun charts or anything that the you know I know everybody likes the uh, uh, what's it called the infographics the barrels but yeah the barrels but like uh, infographic barrel I'm looking for those really cool designed infographic barrels but uh, what's the what's the plan for that this year? Uh, so, you know, I did sign on with a, a new site uh, this offseason. Uh, it was called uh, the College Baseball Scouting Network. Uh, the Collegi- Yeah, Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network was the day when I signed on. Uh, they're a bunch of uh, young guys. Uh, it was uh, started by a student that is uh, still still a student at the University of Alabama. And he started this network of scouts that all throughout uh, all different colleges across the country. And they basically started the system from scratch. I, I, I was, like, floored when the guy was telling me about it over the phone because They've already got some contracts with uh, MLB teams and have done a really good job in a, not a lot of time. Um, and I kind of, they wanted to have somebody at their site write about MLB and they thought, you know, the way that I look at the game was something that really matched what they were looking for. And then I, 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 I kind of, Force my way into this, but I said I'd love to see the data that you guys have because I'd love to start looking at, co- you know, some uh, college baseball players' statistics and see what I can do, you know, with the different ways that I kind of analyze the game and, and, and you know, give my two cents on those. So I'm starting to do that as well with them, uh, which is a whole lot of fun. And uh, they have actually changed their name. They just rebranded last week. Uh, they uh, went into business with another company, and uh, it's called Evolution Metrics right now. Um, and they actually released a really cool article today. Uh, got an interview with uh, the Pitching Ninja um, and his new endeavor. So that was pretty cool. So check out that piece. Um, I've only written one piece so far there. And basically what it was is uh, I set up a pitcher grade system. Um, I started it in the middle of the year last year, so I didn't roll it out last season. But basically I wanted to define uh, like a report card for pitchers, giving every uh, start an A to F grade. Uh, essentially just using barrel FIP and uh, how many innings the pitchers go. So I wanted to give uh, some credit to a pitcher that goes long in the game. So, you know, for example, I won't give an A to any pitcher if he doesn't go at least six innings. Uh, I think that's kind of the bare minimum to ask of a starting pitcher. So, you know, it got a little bit interesting, like looking at the Rays and what they did with the the openers. But um, even if, you know, Ryan Stanek or whoever went out there and, like, struck out six guys in a row, I still felt like he wasn't necessarily deserving of an A because I wanted to look at it from kind of your traditional sense of a starting pitcher. So um, I released kind of 
some basic findings in my article on, uh, you know, which players rank the highest. I mean, Jacob DeGrom was pretty much head and shoulders above any other pitching uh, in the GPA that I, I uh, essentially created from the grades that I gave out. Um, and what I've been tweeting out, I'm trying to do it every day, was just picking a random pitcher and showing uh, kind of the grade book that I have uh that I had for them for 2018, um, just showing where they ranked uh, among all other pitchers. Uh, you know, I put I post what their best start of the season, what was their worst start of the season, according to my grade book. And I'm just going to be tweeting that a whole lot more. I'm certainly writing articles that uh, revolve around that as well. But, you know, uh, every day kind of just putting out what grades uh, I had for every guy. And hopefully it catches on. I'm, I'm excited because I think that there is some validity to it that I like that it's, it includes the, you know, uh, the stamina on how long a guy goes, but also, um, you know, what kind of quality it is. And it's all based around barrel fit, which is still, um, you know, using barrels, strikeouts, and walks. So it's a kind of a uh, good way to project the guy moving forward. You know, of course, a guy might go out there and have a good barrel flip and have a disaster of a start or vice versa, but I still like to kind of look in between the lines and see, you know, what exactly happened. Um, and, of course, I, I, I still look at, like, how the outfield did behind him as well, uh, just because I like... Uh, dropping that in as well. Um, and then um, the, the other thing that I'm going to do at some point this offseason, it's kind of just kids and work have gotten in the way, but I want to do kind of a, a, a deep dive on each team's kind of win-loss record and kind of where those wins and losses came from as far as was it the hitting, was it the starting pitching, was it the relief pitching. Uh, I'll try to throw a defense, although that gets a little bit more difficult. But uh, I started putting some numbers together, and I like what I'm finding, but now I just got to kind of – you know, put my fingers on the keyboard and, and write something up to make it all make sense. But uh, I'm looking forward to it, and I, I'm happy that I'm at a good place like Evolution Metrics because uh, they've been great at supporting uh, all the stuff that I do. I, I just want to point out that it's Metrics, M-E-T-R-I-X. Yes. Uh, not I, I, was, I wasn't following for some reason. Uh, sorry. And I was looking for it, and I came across Evolution Metrics, M-E-T-R-I-C-S, and it was... Uh, a Spanish language thing. So oh, I was curious like for a bit. About Darwin or something. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what's going on here? But I found it. Yes, and it's interesting. It looks good. Uh, so I want to clear that up for anybody just in case they're yeah. Thank you. dumb like me. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put the link on there too because I was looking at the, the GPA. So uh, this is the, the – we were talk, you mentioned uh, DeGrom earlier, and his GPA was 3.4, which is – you know, he's a, so he's a – like, I like how you put it in quotations, student, but the, in terms of the, the – he was grading – teams in terms of so the league average gpa was 1.9 and the tigers were at 1.5 mm-hmm. with 23 a grades and 62 f grades so um but yeah that breaks it down we'll, we'll put the link on our article or we'll put the link on our uh, twitter description or excuse me our uh, itunes description a little more on how the grades work and so and i saw the white Sox are just right behind it so just, that's only victory small victory i guess i have for tiger fans out there but it's not by much but uh that that casey i wanted to take you to come up with that because that's really really i think really cool how you you came up with like in terms of like so for example like you were saying earlier a minimum uh i or innings pitched and maximum uh bifip is six and three so if you're doing anything below like that average the the whole grading system is explained on there, but it's really <coughs> easy to follow too for somebody who may not who not be heavy in the matrix <coughs> metrics. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> you know, I started pitching or posting the barrel flips for each pitcher after every start, but I wanted something a little bit more 
<coughs> where everyone can kind of um, understand it a little bit easier. So I figured a grade book system was the best way. I wrote the article that I tried to set up a system where it was about one-fifth for each grade. So 20% of pitchers each time we get an A, B, C, D, F. Turns out that um, pitchers uh, go out there and throw a stinker a lot more than you would think about it. <laughs> but um, So I ended up about with, uh, I think it was like 35% F, which kind of makes sense if you really think about how the game is played today that, you know, the number four and five starters a lot of the times on, on pretty much any team go out there and pitch a stinker, you know, uh, most of the time. So I was fine when those numbers came out, especially because my A, B, and C were about 20% each. So it made a lot of sense. I, of course, I ended up, play around with the numbers till that worked but i was pretty comfortable with my final product and that's kind of when i went um to uh to, to write the article and, and i was comfortable with releasing it and I, um i'm very confident in my results and i think that they have they can help people kind of understand the game a little bit more um i certainly used it in fantasy baseball as well <laughs> as a big help so um i i'm 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 looking forward to continuing to get feedback about it yeah, I think it's great. Uh, I, honestly, for somebody, again, I'm not. I'm starting to get in the metrics game a little bit. I'm understanding how this works, but it's very well explained. You can find it at Evolution uh, Metrics. That's m e t r i x dot com, and like I said, we'll, we'll post the article on our podcast page. And uh, so, Casey, in terms of prediction wise this year with the White Sox, like it's way too early to make predictions. But if you had to make one prediction this year, ten games above five hundred. 10 games under 500 or just uh, 20 games under 500? Um, I'll say, yeah, I was thinking about 75 wins. So around 10 games under 500. Um, I think 75 probably be a high watermark. And that's without without Machado, without Harper. I think that they're about at, at 75 because I think the offense will be a decent amount better. Um, I still have a lot of concerns about that pitching staff, but I think that they will hopefully make a, a big improvement over the 100-loss team from last season. All right, yeah, so that being said, I mean, in terms of right now, the reason why is because I think the, the White Sox are thinking closer to contention. It could be the White Sox and Twins this year. To, I think they could give – I legitimately think that by next year, the White Sox will give a good money uh, run for the money at the Indians, especially if they sign Machado – who knows if we have you on and talk about some what Machado's impact will be uh we'll refer to that. So you can find Casey at uh, Casey Boguslaw on Twitter. You can find him writing for the Evolution Matrix. And of course, embrace the barrel. That is his philosophy he lives by and some good stuff all around. And uh again, congratulations on the fighting not uh, fighting alumni doing some things in the Big Ten basketball scene and, and make themselves uh relevant that uh one day, I mean hopefully they get in the top twenty five. I mean it seems like there's six teams in the Big Ten that were in the top 25, and you know if they can get back to the days of Kendall Gill, I'm or not Kendall, yeah, Kendall, yeah, Kendall Gill, yeah, Kendall Gill. Yeah. For some for some reason, I thought a new addition for some strange reason for a minute. Thinking, Johnny Gill, Johnny Gill. That's what yeah. I was thinking of. Uh, the days <laughs> of uh, Kendall Gill, Nick Anderson, and I'm trying to think of another from that era. There's another guy in that era. Uh, on a plank. Kenny Battle. Kenny Battle. Kenny Battle. Yeah, there we go. Kenny Battle. Thank you. Kenny Battle. That was a guy who used to annoy me all the time, uh, watching him play when when uh, Michigan would go to Champagne. But uh, nevertheless, I I wish you're finding a line I luck and congratulations on beating Spartans tonight. 
Thank you very much. It was uh, it was a joy to watch, and uh, I'm sorry for being late, pretty much because I was, uh, you know, enjoying that victory a little bit too much. I, <laughs> totally understandable. That's totally understandable. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, find uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, you name it. Tigers SRD on the Overtime Media Network, and uh, we'll be back next week. We'll, uh, possibly talk some Oscars. We'll be starting a whole spring training preview here with some other teams. We'll we'll get some Twins stuff, some Indian stuff as well. And we'll talk to you soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.